If you can imagine the perfect city, a utopia of urban planning in both efficiency and beauty, you might not come close to the vision of the world's Columbian Exposition of 1893 in Chicago, also known as the White City. The Dilettante, a ferrochrome podcast. If you've read Eric Larson's book, The Devil in the White City, you'll be well familiar with the Chicago World's Fair of 1893, also known by its full title, World's Fair Columbian Exposition. The Columbian part of the title referred to the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in North America. Chicago had won out over the other frontrunner New York City thanks to the generous financial pledge of Lyman Gage, president of the First National Bank of Chicago. The Columbian Exposition was a sprawling affair of over 600 acres, with its constituent buildings mostly designed by Daniel Burnham, who would later be architect for the Flatiron Building in Manhattan, and his colleague John Wellborn Root, who would unfortunately die before the fair's opening. There was also significant landscape architecture by Frederick Law Olmsted, designer of New York's Central Park. Burnham had a devotion to the Beaux-Arts style of architecture, which while somewhat passe in Europe, was enjoying a resurgence in the United States during the Gilded Age and would kickstart the City Beautiful movement which postulated that elegant, beautiful urban surroundings would foment the mental health of its inhabitants while curbing any moral turpitude. This utopian notion found particular root in Chicago, which had suffered a devastating fire 20 years prior. The thought of this white phoenix of urban planning rising from the ashes had a redemptive allure. A key landmark at the fair was a statue standing six stories tall of the Republic, modeled after Columbia, the female personification of the United States. Sculpted by Daniel Chester French, who also designed the enthroned Lincoln Memorial statue, the Statue of the Republic, or Big Mary as she was known, presided over the basin, which was the exposition's central lagoon encircled by a promenade and exhibition pavilions. Using the Beaux-Arts style as the overarching aesthetic for the exhibition, Burnham hoped to create a ready-made city of enlightenment over the 690 acres in Jackson Park on Chicago's south side. Most of the buildings and pavilions would be constructed as temporary structures for the duration of the fair, although some would escape demolition and survive to present day. Seeing period photos and artists' renderings, one is put in mind of an Olympian paradise from a Maxfield Parish painting, who, not coincidentally, was active during this time. The pavilions ranged in theme from the industries of mining, manufacturing, and railways to cultural concerns such as religion and the liberal arts. For the first time ever at a World's Fair, various nations were also represented by their own pavilions. The scale of some of the buildings dwarfed anything fairgoers had seen before, one example being the impressive Manufactures and Liberal Arts Building, which encompassed a footprint of over 100,000 square meters. It was clad, as the other exposition buildings, in whitewashed plaster which gleamed at night under state-of-the-art, for 1893, electric lamps, 
their collective nighttime glow emphasizing the moniker White City. The financial running of any exhibition that large was always a tricky thing, with the exposition's 25-cent admission not beginning to offset the fair's considerable overhead. To that end, it was fortunate that one of the premier attractions was a massive prototype carnival ride built by steel magnate George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. It was a large vertical wheel, over 250 feet in height, which rotated 36 cars, each holding 40 people, through the air. At a somewhat expensive 50 cents per ride, it still had no shortage of takers, and the newly dubbed Ferris wheel helped keep the white city in the black. While the Columbian Exposition had its critics, some of those concerning the Beaux-Arts architecture mimicry of classical stone construction with just plaster and whitewash, it still served as an impressive proof of concept for Daniel Burnham and helped him win a commission in 1902 to plan the National Mall in Washington, D.C. As well, Burnham was instrumental in creating the notable 1909 Plan of Chicago, one of the first comprehensive urban plans for an American city. New products by manufacturers debuted at the fair as well, some notables which still exist today. The zipper, postcards, Pap's Blue Ribbon Beer, postal stamps, and most importantly, Cracker Jacks. While most of the buildings were demolished when the fair ended, a few survived such as the Museum of Science and Industry, which still stands in Jackson Park, looking much like it did in 1893. Surrounding the museum are remnants of Frederick Law Olmsted's expert landscaping, which formed the basis of some of the park's present-day topography. And while not technically on site at the exhibition, the Rookery on South LaSalle Street in Chicago was built in 1888 by Burnham and Root to house the offices they would occupy on the 11th floor while designing the fair. The Rookery is considered a Chicago landmark, as well as its oldest high-rise. And Big Mary, Statue of the Republic, survives in a fashion. While the original 111-foot-tall statue was demolished at the fair's conclusion, a one-third size replica was sculpted and stands at the entrance to the Jackson Park Public Golf Course, invoking Big Mary on a diminished scale. Given more than a century of time passing, many have forgotten the existence of the Columbian Exposition of 1893. By those who remember, chiefly historians, the white city can be seen by some as reinforcing racist stereotypes rife through the Gilded Age. Historian Robert Rydell is quoted as calling the fair a utopian construct built upon racist assumptions. This paradigm is taken to a dystopian extreme in the video game Bioshock Infinite, where a floating city called Columbia, clearly inspired by the 1893 World's Fair, is run by an elite cadre obsessed with racial purity called the Founders. Given this, it's tempting to dismiss the entirety of the Columbian Exposition as the dark underbelly of the United States' doctrine of manifest destiny. And yet, also to be remembered are the fair's aspirational aims of, in the sense of Oscar Wilde's aesthetic morality, beautification inspiring harmony, order, 
with the tangible analog of morality. It moved some fairgoers to tears when first viewing its majesty. The White City inspired hope for a populace scarred by memories of the Civil War, the devastating Great Chicago Fire, and the Long Depression of 1873. It made seem possible humanity transcending and aspiring to nobility through scientific progress, urban renewal, and compassion. Naive as these notions seem now in the 21st century, where cynicism and keeping it real are business as usual. Can you imagine a time where world building had a loftier agenda than just entertainment? Looking at the sepia-tinged photographs of the White City, you almost can. The Dilettante, part of the Fairchrome Podcast Network.